0: It's Friday night, everybody. You know what that means. It's Friday night. Let's have some fun. Let's get together
1: and play a ton. I'm Matt. And I'm John. And we're... Friday Night Games.
0: We are two board game enthusiasts who are traveling the world on the many roads trying to find divine wisdom through board games. That
1: That makes sense. (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> <laughs> on today's show we're gonna dive into the world of surro by calliope games we will discuss the game the evolution of the series our playthroughs and general game evolution
1: i don't believe in evolution
0: really why not do you believe in flat earth too yes <laughs>
1: <laughs> can't really, it. I can't that's it. This
0: <laughs> uh, me too. I mean, we talked
1: about flat Earth while we were playing these
0: games, right? Yeah, because the Earth was flat when we were playing. Yeah, I, you know, I can see how people believe in flat Earth uh-huh. because they've never flown on an airplane before. Yeah, and never saw the uh, curve of the Earth's surface. That's yeah. true. And I guess people are empiricists. They can't believe it until they actually see it. Yeah, that kind of makes sense. sense to me. Nice. John, how do we learn about this game?
1: Well, I first played it at one of our game nights. We went to uh, Bill's house and we played it in his newly renovated basement game room corner that he had set up. Uh, we played the original game and I had a ton of fun playing it. And I think it was one. Of, it was kind of like a weird game because like, I don't think I've played anything like it before. And I think when we played it, I was still fairly new and coming to the game night. I just kind of fell in love with how the game was and I wanted to play it. More and our local game store just never had it, and then I sort of just stopped looking for it. And then you know when COVID happened, our local game store was doing deliveries because their their store was closed. I just I was like you know what screw it, and I
0: bought a Phoenix Rising. Were you just browsing the catalog? I was. So you're just kind of like oh here's a game I like, and you're like oh Surro. Is that what happened? You just kinda of saw one of the Suros. And-
1: yeah, I was I wanted to get the original one because I did play it again in a conference with my work. Someone brought a bunch of board games and we ended up playing Soros together. And I just was like, yes, I really like this game and I want it, I want it, and I just couldn't find it anywhere. I'd prefer to buy from you know our local store than on the internet, especially during this time. But they did have Phoenix Rising, so I I purchased that and they delivered it to our house.
0: Yeah, very cool. So my first experience was Bill used to watch a lot of Will Wheaton's Tabletop, and so it was mentioned on there and it was kind of highlighted. Very exciting. Excitedly, we played together, and I really liked it, and I was like, oh, I wonder if I wanted to get my own copy, which, when I look back, it's kind of foolish, because, you know, we had a copy between us. We only play with each other, really. Right. So it didn't matter, but I ended up looking it up anyway, because I also watched the show with Bill, and I found the next generation of Surrow, which was Surrow of the Seas. And I was like, oh, what's that? And it kind of added in a new element to it. And I was like, oh, that's kind of neat. And actually, when I was looking it up, it kind of just came out. So it was really hard to find. So I actually think I overpaid for it a bit because it was so new. Okay. I got it from Toronto and I'm pretty sure I overpaid for it. Yeah, it was cool. It was like a different version. The cool thing that I, that I really liked about it was that you could play it two ways. You can get rid of the sea monsters or you can just play it regularly. Yeah, that's and cool. And so it was easy to introduce to people. And then if you want the sea monsters and easily put them in. So you don't need the first game if you have the second right yeah exactly well i don't know i mean it gives you a different art style and stuff
1: yeah different is for sure so let's yeah. talk about these four games then so surro the original game came out in 2004 it's a very light abstract game where you draw a tile uh, lay the tile and move your piece wherever the tile takes you You win simply by being the last person who didn't crash or fly off the board. Tiles connect together to make complex paths, and there are situations where your tile will move other people. This is the base game.
0: Right, and then the game I was talking about adds the Kaiju tiles that represent sea monsters or other sea creatures, and that is Sorrow of the Seas, which was released in 2012. Now, it's the exact same as the base game, but before a player takes their normal turn, they roll two dice to determine what the daikaiju tiles do so if you roll a six you add another daikaiju to the board if you roll anything else you move all the daikaijus of the same color uh, dice and each number moves it up down left right or rotates it and as they move around the board they will eat other tiles they will eat players and they will even eat each other So it adds a little element of randomness and can make the games last slightly longer.
1: Nice. And then the game that I own, which is Surrow Phoenix Rising, players take on the role of the mythical phoenix, And you're kind of navigating your way across the skies and you're trying to light lanterns. So your phoenix is flying through the starry sky and you pass through lanterns. You light those and you earn star tokens. But what's really cool about this game, even though it shares kind of the same foundations as the original, there is double-sided tiles that you can flip and rotate throughout the game. So that helps create more diverging paths um, and allow you to come up with some different strategies as well the miniatures are really nice they have like nice phoenix miniatures and what i really did like about this one is they offered a life token so because you are playing the phoenix you kind of fill that archetype of that phoenix rising from the ashes if you end up crashing or falling off the board that's pretty cool i like that
0: the one cool mechanic i thought was kind of neat too is as you move your phoenix they they stop and then you have to flip a towel to keep moving right i thought that was so cool the other game, you have to lay tiles from your hand. In this game, there's a lot of tiles already on the board, right? which was super which Yeah, I think there's something like... Uh, four by four, 16 tiles already on the board, something like that. Yeah, something like that. We ended up Friday playing all three games. So we actually played the original twice, Sword of the Seas once, and then soro phoenix rising once i would like to note that i have played the regular soro version many many times mm-hmm. i played Sorrow the seas many many times in fact i usually play it as the base game without the dakaiju before i play it with the dakaiju so people understand the game better yeah so we played it a lot we played it a lot and i don't know how many times you've even played phoenix rising i've played it maybe twice you played it played about it four or five times yeah so that's pretty good yeah so what are your thoughts
1: so, when I, when I got to your house on Friday when we were playing, you guys, I guess, had already run through a round of the regular Sorrow and of the Seas, if I'm not mistaken. Correct. I had never played Sorrow of the Seas, so I was actually really interested in trying it because, you know, I think the box art looks amazing. I like the colors. And when I got to your your house and it was on the table, I'm like, wow, this actually looks really interesting. The, the Kaiju tiles... Like really drew me in. So yeah, it was nice to play. I liked it because, you know, we've got kind of like two types of people in our board game group. So people that like, you know, heavier games, you know, you and I kind of play whatever. And then Michaela and Mike, who like more lighter games, so that they easy to get in. Out. Know, it was nice to see that everyone was playing and enjoying.
0: Which was hilarious, too, because Hockey Playoffs is on, so Mike just turns <laughs> his chair towards the TV and watches it the whole time. But he was actually able to get in two games of Surah with us before you arrived. Right. The base game is so easy to play, and actually... The C's was so easy to play, too, because he just was like, oh, I'm just trying to just throwing down tiles. I don't care. Was his actual (laughs) words? (laughs) That was his strategy. (laughs) So we're like, and he almost won. So good for him, right? Yeah.
1: And I like that your wife joined and played with us,
0: too, which was awesome. Yeah. So it's more it's casual. It's casual enough for her to play.
1: I did. However, when I played, died real quick. All three times.
0: Yeah, ironically, oh, which one? Which game? Both All the games? All three games that we played, I died real quick. But Phoenix Rising, you won. (laughs) Yes, (laughs) technically, yes. We just forgot the rule that (laughs) (laughs) once you collect seven stars, you win. And you actually won and then died. Right. So you won.
1: (laughs) Yeah, my only qualm, I think, with the game, especially with Of the Seas, I felt like it was too much given to chance and how you play that game. So the Dekaiju tiles, they're very nice. They're very cool to look at. The mechanics cool. But the fact that you have to like roll a dice and it moves or gets added on depending on what you roll doesn't give much room for strategy. Especially because like you need to strategize where you want to move your character and lay your tiles, right?
0: So that game also has a mini expansion too with like whirlpools and cannons where you can fight the dragons and stuff. Which is kind of neat, but the one problem I have with Surrow of the Seas is there's a lot of downtime. So when you roll the dice and you then have to move the dragons based on the dice, and there might be four or five dragons, it actually takes a couple minutes. So everyone's just kind of sitting there waiting. So everyone's not really as much engaged. Whereas the original base game, you just throw tiles down and the game goes really quick. I would say like, I have a qualm with Surrow of the Seas where I didn't feel that same sort of downtime with the other two games. Mm -hmm. And I think their base game is so simple and easy to understand. And it's like, it's an abstract game, but it's so easy to understand that, you know, I could recommend it to anyone and everyone, including my like, 72 year old mother <laughs> i could play this with her except for the fact she could barely see but i could play this with her and and have an saying that she would probably like it yeah. because it's so easy to play it's not complicated and i had that kind of same experience so three or four years ago when i had zero the sea my team at work wanted to have a board game night and so they knew i was kind of into board games i'm hyped up about it kind of like told them how much fun it was so like oh matt bring a couple of your favorite games and i was like well if i'm gonna bring a game to a group of people who may or may not be board game people i decided to bring sorrow of the seas but we played it as a regular base game. And they loved it. In fact, they loved it so much that one of my coworkers went to Amazon and bought it right away to play with his wife. That's awesome. Because he's like, my wife's going to love this game. Came with a lot of questions like, how do you hear about this? How did you find out about it? Why did you choose it? And, you know, all those questions came to light, right? Obviously, it's easy to play. Anyone can play it. I can introduce it to anyone. And it worked. He really wanted his wife to play it with him. Mm -hmm. So it really brought in someone to the board game community. It brought in someone to bring into the passion of board games.
1: And that's our job, right?
0: Yeah, I didn't know it was. I didn't know it was our job four years ago, but (laughs) three years ago,
1: you've come full circle,
0: Matt. Yeah, exactly. Congratulations! Like that was a great experience. Having the pitch, having someone play the game, understand how simple it is, and then bring them into the board game world.
1: Yeah, and that was a cool thing, too, with Phoenix Rising, because I brought that home to play with my wife, because, you know, she she has a thing for the Phoenix. I was like, well, I'm like, I know I like Zoro, and we played it, and she loved the game as well. Actually, I should play it with her a little more often. I like the added components and mechanics to that game. That made it just as easy as the original, but offer more, especially with, like, the star tokens and then the lifestone and all the flipping and rotating of the tiles. It was actually, like, we had a lot of fun. We actually played for a very long time. We were able to keep ourselves on the board. Hmm. We played for, like, over an hour each time, and it was actually, like, super awesome. I had a really good time playing that
0: night. I mean, we had a good time playing it as a group, too. Yep. But me and you died right within like ten minutes of playing Phoenix Rising. We did <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> flew off the board really fast. But with our group, I did note that Michaela really liked it. Right. Novi liked it because he could watch hockey and play at the same time. My wife joined in because she's played the original Sorrow and likes it. You know, it was very easy to get everyone to play. Yes. And we got through like five games in an hour. Right. Which was awesome. Well, not an hour, maybe two hours, but still that's really fast.
1: Yeah. And that's why it's cool about this game. Like, it's easy to teach. And, you know, to come to come to our game nights, you have to spend a day or two or all week preparing.
0: Depending on the game, yeah.
1: Preparing for our game night, right? So you have to learn the rules. And you like to play games solo so you can understand how everything works. But this game, it's just like, hey, you get some tiles, figure out your path, <laughs> and go, right? Yeah, And true. it's so easy to set up and play that and lose. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, I like this series. But you did mention earlier there's a get another
0: game. So, John, the fourth game is called Asteroid Escape. It came out in 2011, and it is Star Wars. Okay. So it's made by the same creator of uh, Sorrow. Is it? Yeah. Tom McMurchy. but it's by a different publisher.
1: Okay, maybe that's why I wasn't finding it. All right, Star Wars Asteroid Escape. Oh, yeah, it is the same game. I bet you it's a, I bet you it's very similar to Sorrow of the Seas. Sorrow of the Seas. That's pretty interesting.
0: Yeah, I thought that was kind of neat. I didn't, when I was looking to get information on the games, I saw that. And I'm like, oh, what's Asteroid Escape? And I'm like, Star Wars. Woo! <laughs> <laughs> so obviously, that's probably a very rare game to get because we've never heard of it.
1: That was interesting. I'm glad you showed me that. Isn't that cool? That is cool. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I didn't even know that. I just realized that now. So it's like, oh, we didn't actually play all the games. There's a fourth game, and we were dumb dums <laughs> So we have a special treat for our listeners. We interviewed Ray Wears, and he is the main product manager of the Sorrow Games, and he works at Calliope Games. So he is going to answer a bunch of questions from Uh us. So here they are. All right. So with us today is
1: uh, Ray Wears, the president from Calliope Games. Welcome.
0: Well, thank you, John. I appreciate
2: it.
1: Glad to be here. Thank you. Uh, Matt and I, in our gaming group, we, this past weekend, played uh, all three Suro games in oh. a row in succession. So
0: We also found out there's a fourth game, the, the hidden Star Wars, uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah.
3: <laughs>
0: which was really cool. And I'm like, where do you even get this? I have no idea. I'm sure you have a copy. I hope you have a copy. I,
2: I do have a copy. I, I can actually go grab, what, grab one and show it to you. Um, oh,
0: that be cool. Yeah, sure. Maybe <laughs> hey, later, later after. That would yeah, be awesome. Sure. Yeah, sure. I'd love to, to it. see it. Um, yeah, so we're going to discuss Surah with you, which we're both excited yeah. for.
2: So let me ask you, how long did it take you to get through all three games? And how many people were playing?
0: So we played the original twice uh, with three players. And that only took, you know, we, we played... Suro before so it took about 15 to 20 minutes for the original game twice gotcha. yeah um surro the seas is a, is a longer one right because sure. you, you have the dice rolling mechanics so that took about 30 minutes to 40 minutes but mm-hmm. but you john died really quickly i did <laughs> <laughs> so it shortened the game by a lot and then uh phoenix rising was about i would say 30 minutes yeah.
1: 30 with we had what four or five people playing five 40, people, minutes, yeah. 40 minutes
0: yeah which was actually a really nice pace so so great yeah so john when you when you
2: died in uh, sort of the seas did you uh was it like in the first second turn or what happened
1: uh i was kind of right near the edge of the board and um someone rolled and one of the sea monsters just knocked me off and just ate me they were like really close to me
2: yeah, but I then know. you get to become the Daikachu master, right? Right. It's it's all about revenge.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it didn't help. <laughs> yeah, that didn't help no. But yeah, that gave us a lot of randomness, which is cool. So where did the uh, idea of Soro come from? Or what was the inspiration?
2: So that is a, 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 a question that is probably better suited for Tom McMurchy, who is the designer. Right. So I came in way after those uh, inspirational moments. Right. Um, As far as the base game goes. But um, what I do know is that uh, Tom's an uh, aeronautical engineer. Right. So and he's a mathematician and and he loves uh, mathematical puzzles. Okay, Um, And sorrow is basically one of those. So there's 35 tiles in the game. Um, and all 35 tiles are unique. There's not a duplicate in, in the set. Okay. So the way that the the um, lines actually uh, enter and exit the tiles, um, that array of combinations, if you will, was something that Tom had actually patented, right? Um, when he actually came up and made the realization that, you know, this, This was, you know, these 35 patterns were the full extent of what could happen. And then once he got there, he designed the game, right? So, um, uh, but that was uh, way earlier than uh, when we actually published the game. So Tom was um, actually my brother-in-law and my sister's store. They owned a, a game store here in Bellevue, Washington. Tom was in there playing the game, and, and my brother-in-law, Jordan, the owner of WizKids, and, and I was his partner at the time, as well as my sister and a, a few other folks. But Jordan had seen Tom playing the game. Uh, and at, at that point in time, it was just uh, cardboard tiles. You know, uh, He had a, a nickname for the game. It was called Squiggles.
3: <laughs>
0: and, uh, and that's so awesome. That's, that's, so, yeah, that's when, cool. Uh, did you, did you, so you actually saw this, like it was just squiggles of like a, a car, basically yeah. car. Go, oh, that's, that's cool. That's yeah, kind of neat.
2: Yeah. You know, Jordan saw it and he just thought it was really, really elegant, you know, and asked him, he said, you yeah, know, would you like to have it published? You know, Tom said, sure. You know, why not? And so they, they worked out the deal. And at the time I was the director of sales for WizKids. Okay. So I didn't even know this was actually going on. <laughs> pretty close to a year after the game was signed. Um, they had been going back and forth with different motifs, you know, and skins for the game. And as Squiggles, you know, it was a, they actually designed a 1950s car and uh, restaurant theme type of a game, you know, for it. Starbucks, however, um, was just starting to, uh, really get big into selling other things outside of uh, coffee. Uh, they did the cranium game and, and some other things that uh, really made that marketplace, as well as bookstores, which was another side of the market that we were trying to get into, very interesting to us, right? And um, what we wanted to do was uh, to make the game accessible by everybody, Right. Um, but very attractive to the people that were in those styles of stores. So whether or not they were in a, a Starbucks-style boutique, right, um, coffee boutique, or if they were actually in a Barnes & Noble or a Borders at the time, right, um, that they would be attracted to the game. And so uh, that's where the, the sorrow look and, and feel came from, right, is we really wanted to get into that marketplace. Um, We were really fortunate to be um, working with uh, a gentleman by the name of Shane Small. Um, He was uh, part of the art department. My sister's an art director, so Dawn was the art director. So she was the one that actually um, worked with Shane and and Kathy Small, uh, Shane's wife at at this point. And you may know them from uh, that. Little cat game, exploding kittens. Oh, exploding, oh, exploding, kittens? exploding kittens! Really? Yeah. Wow! Holy yeah. so. So Shane had his, you know, uh, his hands in that with a lot. Oh, that's awesome. There's a lot but of cat <laughs>
1: games.
0: <laughs> well, exploding kittens is probably the ar- arguably one, yeah. the biggest one. Right, yeah, right. Well, wow, that's super cool.
2: Yeah. So, but uh, Shane and Kathy, you know, they did all the uh, the art and, and illustrations under Dawn's uh, direction. You know, I'm mm-hmm. not sure who actually came up with the Soro, the Japanese theme. Mm-hmm. But, man, did it turn out beautiful. When We first got the, the samples back from the factory. It was uh, really, really beautiful. And we were really excited. The art the, team worked really, really hard on making the stones so that, so that they're actually ergonomical. You know, so when you hold them in your hand and, and, and you pinch them between your fingers, right, they feel good in, in the way that they feel, and they, and they look natural. You know? Yeah. And so that just didn't happen. That was a, a lot of work that they actually put into it.
0: Wow, that's super cool. I didn't even I didn't even like think of that. I know that like the stones like I, I do know what you're talking about. Like when you do feel them, they do actually feel nice and smooth and they feel like very natural in your hand. I didn't yeah. know that there was that much <laughs> thought that yeah, I went into engineering sure. that. Sure. That's super cool.
2: Well, like the tiles themselves were actually real stone and, and oh. so they had them um carved and then they photographed them all. And that's how you got the actual tiles themselves so you know all that stuff actually existed
0: i was gonna say yeah. on, does that, so there is a stone version lying around yeah. somewhere oh yeah good. cool so, um i
2: i've got rumors of where bits and pieces of it have been
0: <laughs> wait so it's like, how,
2: like a some, some of it have actually been in floods and you know it's
0: that's like uh, a holy grail are we all gonna go looking for this <laughs> yeah, well,
2: <laughs> It would, it would be wonderful to actually get our hands on it again but uh, I don't know that that'll actually happen so uh, but you know so the, the stones themselves actually um, in the original prototype came in a uh, a back they were in a um, a cloth back you know they, it was a rougher look a rougher linen if you will that the idea was you were know, coming into this. Zen experience, right? And so the rice paper was on top, you know, covered the rules and the whole shot. And it, it was just, it was gorgeous. It was absolutely gorgeous.
0: It still is. It really still is. Like, because like, I had to, I was a photographer. Like, we played it the other day, but I also had to, like, uh, photograph everything. Sure. I was just like, this is like, like that rice paper, like it's the first thing you see, right? It's just so beautiful. Yeah. You peel that off, and like I actually took a picture of it on the cover because it matches the cover perfectly too. And you're just like, this is sure. just like the the thought that went into it is just phenomenal. Yeah, yeah. and right. and
2: that's the art team, right? I mean, they, yeah. they came up with all that. It was it was they did a spectacular job. And um, what's funny though is if you go back, so that rice paper was actually uh, in the original prototype in 2004. OK, when the game actually came out in 2005, it was actually a solid sheet of paper that covered the, the game. So if you, if you actually open up a, an original copy of Soro, it doesn't have the rice paper in it. Ah. Right. And um, after we acquired the game back uh, from Topps, right, I wanted to go back to its original presentation. and So I coughed up the extra money and said, we're putting rice paper back in this. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
1: It's honestly, like, one of the best features of when, like, you first open that, that box, and it's just beautiful to look at. You're treated with that, yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah so it's, yeah. it's like a treat, you know? It's something you appreciate when you look back, because not every game—actually, most, most games don't have that. Right. <laughs> <They> have, <laughs> have that little extra, right? So, yeah, it's super yeah. cool.
2: Getting, getting you into the theme of the game and, and the presentations, you know, uh, or the feeling and, and uh, the story behind it, right? Each of the games. It's really important, you know, and so we do the absolute best that we can in in actually telling that story. So um, Jordan, uh, my brother-in-law, who, again, who is my partner, you know, or I was his partner at WizKids. um, uh, He he is a firm believer of telling the story first, you know, that the game is is a way of telling the story, you know, and um, and so we've been, you know, we've carried that through to all and in, in all the Calliope titles, right? So that was actually uh, the whim of Don and Jordan together. But if you go through and and you look at um, uh, each one of the different Soro of games, including the Star Wars game, right, the 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 whole ideas of, of telling the stories they they shine through very very strongly, and. Um, when we did the Star Wars side of it, you know, originally um, we had a distributor that was in in France that had uh, the Star Wars license and wanted to do Soro as Star Wars. And we were like, Jordan's just like,
0: He's a huge Star Wars. Oh, so he's fan. like, yes, yes. <laughs> yeah. so when I about it, it like,
2: Absolutely, we're doing this. Right? Yeah.
0: Why wouldn't we do this? <laughs> right. It,
2: the original thought was we were just going to retheme the standard game, right? We weren't going to make any changes. And and Jordan's like, that's stupid.
3: <laughs> <laughs> that's
2: just insane. Right. It's like, why would we do that? We can provide the story in the game and use the game as the background for a story, right? Mm -hmm. And so in the Star Wars version of the game, you're navigating an asteroid field in the Millennium Falcon, right? And other ships. And then you've got Yoda, you know, the the Force is being with you, right? (laughs) For sure, you got to have Yoda. Yeah, obviously. Mm -hmm. And so Yoda is actually the Dragon Tile. And so all the pawns are the different ships that are actually in Star Wars, you know? And so uh, the idea of manipulating the tiles uh, with the um, with the dice always about simulating an asteroid field, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. right? And so we we did this game and absolutely loved the way that it turned out, and we had a blast playing it. Then Lucasfilm they actually approved everything, you know, mm-hmm. and then there's uh, another large. Uh, game and toy company that had um worldwide license for star wars and when they found out about the product that we had produced even after lucas Hart signing off on everything right they pulled the license from the company that we had mm. uh, that we were working with to actually do the game so they only sold like 500 copies of that thing
0: really but-
2: yeah, so it's really, really hard to get. A hold
0: yeah, of. that's rare. Then that's like super rare. Yeah,
2: it's a a super, super cool experience. And and when they when they shelved it, we were pretty upset because it's a great game. Yeah. You know, and then it was like, okay, it's sorrow, right? Right. How we can actually make it
3: sorrow again?
0: <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. I was mm-hmm. like. Okay, we got dragons. There you go. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Yes. Forget those asteroids. Yeah. <laughs> dragons are way cooler. Game of Thrones proved that, right? Yeah. <laughs> so you're ahead yeah. of your time, right? You guys are ahead of your time. You just knew yeah. dragons are the next big thing. <laughs> oh, it's
2: awesome. You know, so uh, you know, um, we have a we have a loyal group of of people who donate their time every year for calliope at gen con and all the other conventions and you know we were um we were actually at a uh, a meal um where it was the team and we were just celebrating gen con and, and having a good time and uh we started talking about uh sorrow, right it was that group of people that actually came up with a lot of the theme and the story behind it you know or at least the, the, the application of the story behind it, you know? So my friend, Mike Mulvihill who worked with me uh, at whiz kids and, you know, uh, he's been a buddy of mine for a long, long time. He's the guy that did shadow run, did a bunch of uh, McWarrior uh, battle tech stuff, you know, back in the FASA days. He's got a great creative mind. And um, I asked him, I said, I need you to help me write this story. and then. Double check to make sure that this game is not going to break once <laughs> once we get the thing published. You know, so not only did he write this story, he made sure that the game didn't break. You know, um, right. and so you know, that's that's what we that's where Sword of the Seas came from. So the Star Wars thing actually was first, and then it turned into you know Sword of the Seas. So,
1: yeah, because I was interesting because we were looking at the Star Wars skin and we're like this this sounds just like Sirens of the sea so we're just like we wanted to know like well what was the difference between the two and we were looking it up the other day and so that's interesting that that's how that it was it was flipped i thought it would have been the other way around
0: yeah know? oh yeah, that's, yeah yeah actually yeah i agree but no that's super cool that Hey, this shows you that Star Wars is a huge influence on everything. That's right. right. Including Japanese culture. Exactly. That is very true, actually.
1: (laughs) We know that Phoenix Rising is the third iteration of the game. Uh, So why did Calliope Games believe that it was the time to release this version of this game?
2: Sorrow Phoenix Rising. So, Tom McMurchy designed uh, two sets of tiles. OK,
3: mm-hmm.
2: when we when we acquired the license back from WizKids, Tom approached me with this second set of tiles again. And he said, I really would like to do this other game. And in, in this second set of tiles, you have two lines that come outside of the sides of the tiles and then you have two lines that came out of the corners of the tiles.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And so it changed the game and many different facets. Um, but the, the one that was most notable is how quickly you could get across the board by moving on a diagonal, OK? Um, and so Tom really wanted to, to publish that game. And I told him, I said, um, I, I, can't, I can't make that commitment to you. Right? I, I want to do it, but I can't do it now again, this was, you know, uh, back in 2010, I think, um, tw- 2009 to 2010, something like that. And um, but I told them, I said, I promise you, I will publish the game, but we need to get Sorrow healthy first, because it, when we acquired Sorrow, nobody was selling it, right. you know, it just wasn't it wasn't doing anything. And so. And we had to breathe all the life back into it and and i knew that if that would happen it was just a matter of sticking with it and and you know introducing it to more and more people because it's such an easy game to play right mm-hmm. and it, it, it's so fun in such a short period of time so my commitment to Tom was yeah we'll, we'll publish this game when the time is right okay and so <clears throat> we already had uh the the Star wars game done and i didn't want to lose that to something else so we we published uh sort of the Seas first only because we wanted to make sure that that property was protected that that game was protected mm-hmm. nobody knew about this other game yet right right and so when the time came to really celebrate and 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 expand the sorrel line again which was about five years later we started with that other set of tiles that tom had designed Mm
3: -hmm. right
2: but in the meantime i had designed for another game that i'm working on the board that allows you to manipulate the tiles that phoenix rising is actually played
1: on. So I actually
2: patented that board for the use in another
1: game. Are you talking about like the uh, the the black uh, Yeah, the, the black tray
0: black tray that you play in the game? Nice. That's really right. cool. Yeah I really like that tray. It makes it yeah, very so easy that, to
2: flip, that tray so. allows you to do a lot of things with tile games that really prohibit the game from being fun a lot of times, right? Because you're always messing with tiles on the board, you know, trying to straighten them out. And when you're actually flipping and rotating tiles the way you do and in phoenix rising as well as this other game that that i designed if if you didn't have it the fun's not there because you're too concentrated on trying to keep the board organized versus actually playing the game right right so once i came up with it i was like wait a second we can really do something unique with with sorrow one of the things that was apparent to us with with sorrow of the seas is that people really enjoy when the board actually gets filled out and they can zip all over the board, yep. right? Mm-hmm. Um, we, we saw people actually playing the game, especially with the younger players, trying to extend the, their normal experience by just playing with the tiles without the daikachu on a larger surface. When they really got excited about it is when the board actually filled out. So with Phoenix Rising, we knew that. And so we wanted to apply it to the standard game, and, but in a way that, the board was already filled so you know you're you know continuing your path really wasn't done until you could flip the tile over
1: Mm -hmm. and that was really cool because when we started playing that was one of the first things that the other players noticed was that when you start off you have most of the boards already filled out right yeah and they're like that's actually really awesome yeah they're really excited about it
0: yeah you feel like there's more gameplay there yeah even though there's well, probably like it, the same, <laughs> but if you feel you think
2: differently about the game.
0: Yeah, right? exactly. And,
2: and what and what you're trying to do. And so, what we did though is we took Tom's second set of tiles and we applied them to the backside of the game. So on one side of the on one side of the the, the tile is the standard sorrel tile. Mm-hmm. On the backside of the tile is Tom's tile where it was coming in and out of the corners also. But what we did is we augmented the the paths so that they would line up with the original soro types, right whereas the original game they didn't mm-hmm. and so um so when we did that it was like okay that's a lot of fun now now what are we gonna do with it
0: <laughs> right? You're right yeah you like we, You're like, we, we have got this got, great oh, idea
2: both <laughs> you... following the lines flipping them around is Super cool. Now, how do we get a game out? Right? And um, and so that credit goes to um, my nephew, uh, Zach, and, and Chris, right? Um, Chris Leader. So Zach Weissman and Chris Leader, the two of them really made that happen, you know? And um, the whole idea of it becoming a set collection game and um, and then picking up the, the lanterns and moving them from one one tile to another. Uh, that was, you know, Zach and Chris. Um, the stars, however, in tracking the movement was uh, Ken Franklin, right? So he was the one that actually came up with the idea of dropping the stars behind uh, the the, pass of the of the dragons. And once that happened, the story came together, right? It's like, okay, we have a constellation, we have dragons and phoenixes, right? This whole thing works. And so uh, that was that was an exciting day when that happened. That was a really exciting day. So you know what what made it um, what what made the timing right? It was really a, a commitment that I had made to Tom to to get this other game out right.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And uh, um, you know, Soro, the base game itself was very strong. Right, and we weren't going to be taking sales away from that. We were just going to be adding to it, and so that's why we ended up going with, with the, the timeline that we went with.
1: Nice. Right? Nice. I know we. I have a hard time finding Sero at our local game store. The, the, the original game's always yeah, sold out. They're always. Yeah.
0: And then I think Sword of the Seas. You can. It's it's very rare. That's yeah. definitely a rare version of it. Yeah. Um, I know. I remember I got mine a while ago but I had to like pay double for it. I think <laughs> <laughs> totally worth it though. Totally we worth it. We appreciate that commitment. <laughs> hey, it was good. It was a good game. So, yeah.
1: <laughs> well, cause well, I wasn't it. sure if we, if, uh, so we each own, uh, There's... a copy. So three of us own one of the games, right? <laughs> and we weren't sure if one of the guys was going to come to the game night. So I was like, well, I should probably try to buy it just in case <laughs> he doesn't come. And like, no, no one in our city had it. <laughs>
2: My, my cousin tiffany o'brien was the uh, product manager at WizKids for um Suro, right mm-hmm. and one of the things that she did at conventions which is a huge amount of fun right um is she would take four boards and put them together right and then you you could put 16 to 30 people around the table playing the game
0: right and it's just That'd crazy be, crazy that's fun. actually a really good idea yeah. <laughs> <laughs> is that where it's going <laughs> <laughs> Is that <hate? laughs> that's <definitely> strange, right? <laughs> actually be really fun now that i think about it because it, it is like it is very it is a very casual game like the original game is a very casual game right like i think anyone can play it it appeals to everybody it's just so it is it is kind of relaxing too like you can talk while playing it i mean there are some people who are analyzing everything but there's a lot of people who are just you know having fun sure right so
2: well yeah the, so there's a, a group of, of people so the, the guys that tom plays with they play very very seriously and and the game takes on a whole different
0: but i don't like say they're it, analyzing it, like probabilities and well, like yeah yeah so
2: here's the thing right so here's the way i explain people you know they ask you know how how do I know which one of the three games to play? Which one do I buy first?
3: Mm-hmm. Right? And
2: so um the answer to that most of the time is the standard Soro game. Right. And and the reason for that is one, anybody can follow the line and play. Mm-hmm. Right. So a four year old can actually um follow that line and move move the pawn across the, the path, right? Through the board. Um and and they can do it without their parents telling them where to place the tile. And I'll I'll tell you a different story about that in a second. But um, when with Soro, though, because the tiles are all unique, right? And there's only 35 of them. When a tile is played, it either opens up or closes a path. And it'll open up or close off a portion of the board. And so depending about how, how far ahead you're actually looking in, in what's in your hand and what you can do with those tiles. The, the game becomes a, a game of strategy mm-hmm. very, very quickly, right? Um, and so, yes, it's very simple, right? It's simple to learn, mm-hmm. right? But it, it really does, um, it's, it's a game of skill in, in that it, the because of how the, 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 the tiles themselves are constructed, the confinement actually makes it a game of skill. Okay, where Sorrow of the Seas, when you're battling the dike at you, that's a game of luck, straight up luck.
0: Right.
3: right? Yep.
2: You, you can see where those bad boys are at, right? But you have no idea where they're gonna go.
0: Right. You can try <laughs> your best to dodge them, but good yeah. luck. Right. <laughs> a couple yeah. bad dice rolls, and then you're you're in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> yep.
2: And so, Phoenix Rising kind of combines them both, mm-hmm. right? And it and it it's a it's a set collection game versus a last man standing game. And the fact that you get a second life to come back into the game, right, really um, allows people to wrap their head around the strategies of collecting those tiles. And and the more you play that game, especially in a single sitting. And you start flipping the tiles back and forth, you'll actually start to understand where you where you can actually move for that specific game, right? And uh, that that's a, a really fun experience when once you understand killing yourself, right, and actually coming back to life is a very valid strategy in the game,
1: mm-hmm.
2: right? And you got to know when to do it because if you do it too soon, you don't know what the board actually looks like. And if you do it too late, the outside of the board can fill up on you, and you can't come back in and come on. Right. So it's it's a different thing. So, but yeah, the the three the three reasons are, are for buying the games and who they appeal to really depend on what kind of player you are. You know, um, I was talking about the four year old experience, right, with yep. Soro. So um, one of the things. You know, at uh, Gen Con, um, you always get to see the families come through, right? And uh, this this one uh, family came through with, with their daughter. Like I said, she's four years old. And um, they were asking us if we had a game that a four-year-old could play. And I told them, I said, you know, it's not actually designed for a four-year-old in any way or form. But if she can follow the line she can play the game you know and so we taught her how to play the game and she was there the entire day she didn't leave she she's just kind <laughs> of and as she played she got better and better and better and what was really unique okay is that she actually started beating the other players that she was at and it wasn't just her family it was other people that were coming up to the up to the booth to play and what i realized was that you know, as we get older, we think about things differently, okay? Mm-hmm. And um, when when most people play Soro they'll look at their tiles, and they'll start rotating them, right? And try to find out where they can actually play the tile, right? But what she was doing was she identified on the board where she wanted to go, and then she took the tile and put it there, the one that actually got her to that space, mm. So, she was thinking about it—the exact opposite of everybody else that she was playing—and it gave her an advantage in the game. Right? It was really, it was really neat
0: to see. Uh, I should write down these strategies for next time. <laughs> for beating Bill, <laughs> I'll just play
1: with uh, with uh, my daughter.
0: Yeah, you should. Yeah. yeah, and then we'll make your daughter beat Bill. There we go. <laughs> Oh, that's super cool. I, I mean, yeah, you're totally right about that. I mean, like they have like a like children have like a different learning mechanism, right? They have like a million possibilities. We learned this when I was a teacher. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we we are very like narrow minded at at what we see, right? Like we have limitations yeah. that we build into ourselves, where they're kind of more imaginative, mm-hmm. right? So they're just better learning computers than we are. Yeah, why writing d and D campaign? There yeah, they
2: they're... have been filled with a bunch of garbage
1: yeah.
0: <laughs> you say garbage I say weightlifting of the mind you know yeah. <laughs> they're doing bench press well, <laughs> hopefully there's some of
3: that too
2: I hope so
0: yeah. Yeah, yeah. cool so where uh where can we see sorrow going from here are you gonna are you gonna drop some any some hints for us or can you drop any hints for us so
3: um,
2: could well, is... out only... Is Star Wars coming back? (laughs) Star Wars is coming back. That's a license that uh that's all tied up, right? That's why it didn't happen in the first place. So so that won't happen. Um but uh we we are working on two different uh versions of Sorrow, right? One you'll probably see next year. Very cool. Um it it will be uh really uh going back to Soros uh origins if you will you know so that that'll be uh, if everything goes right that'll be next year and then we will have a game that that uh, we will put out for younger players specifically for younger players but that won't be for a while down on the, the pipeline so but both of them are are actually in the 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 generation pool now where we're thinking about them and trying to figure
3: them out
0: oh very cool so, cool very yeah cool. yeah i'm looking forward to seeing where that's going to go because when you think sorrow ends, it's like there's a new game that comes out and it blows your mind because it's phenomenal. So,
2: <laughs> well, this this next one will definitely blow your
3: mind.
0: I, cool. I promise you that. I hope and, so. <laughs> and if,
2: if if you if you bring it into your collection, my bet is that it will be the pride the pride and joy of your collection. Very cool. Right. So, really looking forward to it.
0: Well, hopefully if there's a Gen Con next year we can play it with you. And yeah. Then, if not be happy. we'll we'll see you at the next convention. I don't know, <laughs> the next year. <laughs> Who knows? Yeah.
1: Who knows
3: when
2: we'll get back to it, right?
0: Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Very cool. So, very cool. Well, uh, okay, so thank you very much, Ray, for oh, joining our podcast. And uh it was a very it was a pleasure having you on.
1: Oh, uh, super informative. I'm like kinda of blown away by some of the stuff you were saying, so Trying to process yeah. it all <laughs> well,
2: I, i'm still trying to process it all but,
1: you know. <laughs> i mean you you design you design and publish board games like that's just amazing i i, I have so much respect for people that can do that and, and the uh,
0: creativity it involves right yeah, yeah it's, it's phenomenal so
2: so i i will let you know that i don't do the designing right right uh-huh. I, I do the tweaking at times.
0: You know what? But, even even the tweaking but, takes a lot, right? Because yeah. sometimes you get the game and you're like, it's good, but it needs to go an extra. There's so much involved. There's like a, the creative process is, is amazing, yeah. right?
2: And that's that's what's really fun about having creative people around you all the time, right? Yeah. And so, you know,
0: having Chris
2: and Zach and Ken and, you know, we, we have a young lady that's working with us now, Risa, um, and, and our art director, Andy. Uh, Is just phenomenal, right? And so, you know, getting to, to work with these people every day and, and actually pick their brains, and you know, when you see stuff come to volition, it's just super exciting. You know, super super exciting. Cool. But, very
0: Cool. Yeah. So, thank you yeah. for joining us. And uh, if if you haven't been living under a rock for the last ten years, we're <laughs> talking about Syro. <Ciro. laughs> <laughs> <laughs> and you could probably buy it anywhere except that we can't buy it anywhere because you tried buying it john and you couldn't yeah. but hey the new game yes. is the new game is phenomenal and i'm sure you could pick that up so definitely yeah, do yeah. if you have a chance
2: well the, the um sora will be back out on shelves uh probably early october Very That's nice. it'll be readily available again
1: awesome
0: so. well thanks ray that w- that was awesome
1: yeah thanks for coming on i appreciate that
0: yeah. Oh, we appreciate that. We appreciate that. Talk about these games because they're really, they're gems. You know, I'm sure most people have played them, but if you haven't, you know, you just heard it from Ray. Go play them.
1: I want to break this down a little bit, Matt, and mm-hmm. talk about kind of like how these games have evolved from the original Sorrow to the now Phoenix Rising. Do you think this game could go anywhere else?
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. Next question. <laughs> Yeah, no, I do think it could go somewhere else. Although I really like the Phoenix Rising adaptation of it. You know, board games are are like that, right? They start off with a simple idea and then they build on it and build on it. And then finally you come up with something like Phoenix Rising, which is really, really fun. Could you add other elements? For sure. I mean, you could easily add a deck of cards that let you manipulate the opponent or Mm -hmm. manipulate the board. Very simply. That's what I think it's going to go. And we just heard where Ray said it was going to go. But like, I think they could do other things like they could definitely give you character powers and you could do you know like rewind nice like hey now rewind your character go back to a certain spot move a couple tiles right replace tiles you fly off the board second life and phoenix rising was awesome right i think that was a very simple mechanic that made it more fun and you can play any Sorrow like that. I think like Phoenix Rising had the you stop on a tile and you get to flip it. I thought that mechanic was so cool. It made sense to me when I played it and I'm like, wow, that is really cool. So maybe you can add actions to that.
1: Do you think that with
0: Phoenix Rising, even though it's a good game, do you think they
1: added too much too soon?
0: No, I actually think Phoenix Rising plays better than Suro the Seas. I agree. And Sur the Seas added just a very simple element of the kaiju, which those monsters can eat tiles and then so basically they could reset the board or eat players nice. and i think that game actually was elongated you know it says 40 minutes but i think it plays more of an hour hour 10 depending on how the game goes
1: and i think that i'm kind of seeing this as a trend in some games that we've played as well so you know a few weeks ago we talked about epic spell wars and the second game added so much that it just took too long to play the game
0: i agree there's an evolution to gaming right and it comes with design yeah you know designers are gonna they're gonna make they're gonna improve on their concept so it's like hey here's a game it becomes really successful after it becomes successful the designer's like oh now i can do whatever i want because we're gonna sell more copies of this right but sometimes that doesn't equate to a good game right so for instance what do you prefer of those three games that we played which one is your favorite
1: phoenix rising mine too right
0: but i give a lot of credit to the original yes which i actually like playing very casually i like playing that in a very casual setting of a lot of people nice so you could actually consider that a party game <laughs> <laughs> whereas Sir phoenix rising is not okay. like you can play with a lot of people but there's more to do on the board so you're more into your turn and the turns of other people because the board's ever-changing, too. Right.
1: I think, for me, when it comes to any game you know that, he quote-unquote, evolves, it needs to be a nice blend as you move forward. Keep the elements that worked really well and get rid of the ones that didn't. And don't make it so that it's too complicated.
0: That's very interesting you say that. Because I actually have written down a bunch of games that I would, quote-unquote say, evolved. Okay. And some of them overcomplicate when they evolve and some of them undercomplicate when they evolve. See, and then for me, like, if I play that, if it gets more complicated, it turns me off. Right. So, for so. instance, Ticket to Ride. Okay. Ticket to Ride started with Ticket to Ride North America. And if you never, if you never played Ticket to Ride, you, you basically buy railroad tracks and you get points for how long your railroad are you get points for a bunch of different things but essentially you get points for how long your railroad is and if you connect between certain point cards you have well the first one just had simply that you just connect but then the next version had hey guess what we're going to add tunnels and then the next version so like europe added train tunnels through mountains and then the next version added like fairies you know and then the next version i don't even know i think like, it gave up there <laughs> <laughs> but it evolved simply right so they added yeah. a one simple mechanic it was a base game it played alone added a simple mechanic and it made it more fun right but then there's even more complicated games can you guess one of the complicated games
1: uh arkham horror
0: <laughs> you're just reading my list <laughs> <laughs> The one under that. Magic. Yes. That is the most complicated evolving of all of them, in my Uh, opinion. Yes. Right? Like, here's an expansion. Let me give you two new mechanics, the hundred more cards. Figure it out.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Mic drop. (laughs) Right. (laughs) And you're going to buy it because you want to own it.
0: Right. Exactly. Or you're trying to be competitive, so you're trying to make the best deck. So you'll dish out... 500 bucks per Black Lotus or $5,000 per Black Lotus now.
1: Yeah. Five, it was $500 when we were like
0: seven. And we should have bought them all, but we were stupid. So <laughs> we have a time. If I do you have a time machine, i will go back in time. Take that Black Lotus. I'd be like, Matt, do not sell that ancestral recall. Do not <laughs> sell that card. <laughs> Keep it in your bedroom. Yep. And then the other game, which I think is between Ticket to Ride and Magic-like games, would be Arkham Horror. If you haven't been living under uh, board game rock, and you've been following the board game industry, then you know that Marvel Champions is a twist on Arkham Horror. You know, they took some of the simple mechanics of that, and they changed it. Not everything's the same, but the idea behind a boss fight, and hey, there's threat, which is similar to Doom Tokens on a quest. There's a lot of similarities. It's not the exact same, but the cool thing is that they evolved Arkham Horror into a Marvel game that's cool i'm telling you right now they did an awesome job but again they evolved right so they took a concept and said hey how can we make it better And they right did it.
1: you know i'm hearing a lot of talk too and
0: about the game azul oh because there's like a million expansions
1: yeah and then i keep hearing how much the summer pavilion one is better so i was like i gotta do some research in it because like it just looks like the same game to me except you have like diamond tiles instead of square tiles i did look it up a little bit and it actually has a point zero one better score on board game geek than the original <laughs> game
0: wait so how is it so much better well i guess that's just board game geek yeah it's board game geek. Geek.
1: so this game offers like a wild tile Wild tile. Wild tile. So basically you get your, I forget what it's called now, but like the the market and it plays in six rounds. Each round has a different tile that is wild. So wild tile. Wild tile. When you're taken from the market, you have to take one of the wild tiles and then you can use that and you kind of have like your own tile market area that you use to build your your things and you have to pay tiles to play a tile. So you can use those wild tiles to, to pay instead of using ones that you actually need to fill your board. And then they also have something that gives you a little bit of competitive edge. So when you surround a certain thing on your board, either a window pillar or statue, you take one to three tiles, depending on what you surrounded from the supply and add that to your board that you can use to make place- placements on your player board. But if you collect too much, you lose points and stuff. like so that. So how does that
0: so- give you more of a competitive edge? Because it gives you more tiles to play with for free. Very cool. Essentially. Uh, Well, if you haven't played Azul, you should. It's a very amazing abstract game. And it's technically a tableau builder. So you're building tiles on like a grid. Mm -hmm. Um, And the key is that when you buy a tile, it goes into your little section. And once you complete a section, it completes a single tile on your grid. Right. Right. So it gives you competitive edge when you buy tiles for your sections. Yeah. So this game
1: doesn't have the section like the original game does. Oh. So your tiles are kind of just like you're in your own separate market over here. like. To whatever on your side of your table there each thing that you lay a tile in you have to pay it x amount of tiles so either from three i think it goes from three to six mm-hmm. so if you surround certain things you get extra tiles from the market so you take away from what your opponents can collect and you can use that to help pay for to lay your tokens and stuff your awesome. tiles i thought that was a really good example of how it evolved to be a little a better game but not over complicating it
0: yeah like they, they obviously changed a bunch of mechanics for the better Yeah,
1: I haven't played the game and I'm able to explain it to you.
0: So (laughs) you know what I mean? Right, and that's that's the idea behind an evolved game. Right. Right? You you take a game, it has a base to it, you could change a couple of rules to make it better, and it becomes a better game. And then all of a sudden you're like, Hey, this version is better than that other first version. I think I'm gonna go buy it now. You just convinced me by explaining it to me. That's cool. There you go. Or convinced yourself by explaining it to me. Cool, yeah. Is there any other games you can think of that are evolving? Or is there a game you wish that It did evolve?
1: I mean, well, we talked about Epic Spell Wars. That's a great example of evolving. You know, I don't even know. Pandemic.
0: (laughs) Although, I don't know.
1: Do you wish that it evolved or it has evolved?
0: You know, I actually don't know. I never played the Legacy games. It could have. Yeah. I have only played the one game. I mean, maybe Legacy is an evolution. Well, Monster Mash. (laughs) uh, (laughs) Anyone know know what Monster Mash is? Go look it up. (laughs) My wife is the champion of it, by the way. That's if good. there was a champion thing, she would be it.
1: Yeah, I don't know. Uh, I go no. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I think, like I said, if if you're gonna evolve a game, it needs to be worth it. Yeah, right. Because you have you don't want to just like reskin a game.
0: Yeah, and it's sort of like you know when you when you think about it, some people are like, oh, I played Sorrow. I don't need to play the next two. Well, you know what? No, you need to play Phoenix Rising.
1: Yeah, it's a totally different game. Well, it
0: has the same base mechanics with yep. a couple added things, which make it a better game. Right. If you like Surrow for it being casual, the next game is going to be less casual. So it might appeal to more of a higher taste in board games. <laughs>
1: yeah, I can see where you're getting it. Bill, yeah.
0: Bill mentioned that the original Surrow, he would never move on from it from his parents because his parents don't want to move on. Right. right. Whereas he, he has taste to learn new things, so he wants to move on from it. And so do we. Nice. So there you go that's my thoughts
1: nice i like your thought
0: thank you so do i
1: awesome is there anything else we want to chat about on this podcast today matt no that's it nice so thank you all for listening and if you like what you hear don't forget to leave us a review on apple Podcasts or hit that follow button on your favorite streaming platform is there a game you'd like for us to check out or have us talk about and have you created a game and want us to preview it let us know by emailing us at info at fridaynight.games. don't forget to follow us on all our social medias so instagram at friday night games underscore official and on twitter at friday gms and don't forget we do release a podcast every friday and don't forget it's friday night let's have some fun